Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented to you by Rounding the Earth and spoken to you with you today by me, Liam Sturgis, your host. I'm coming at you live from the very sunny Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and we've got a very interesting show for you today. Uh, I started a little bit later than expected, uh, though Jen Slavin says, just in time, I'm just pouring myself my Friday drink. Well, Jen, you're going to need it. So let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, let me know if the sound and video are working fine. Today, we're asking a question. Who is David Bolware? And as I put in the description, he's the most important man you've never heard of, at least when it comes to COVID-19 early treatment. Now, um, before we dive in, just a reminder, everyone, support the show on Rumble, Rockfin, or Odyssey, wherever you're watching. There's the ability to leave a tip, either in the form of a Rumble rant or a direct contribution on Rockfin or Odyssey. It means a lot. It really makes a difference, keeps this going. And on roundingtheearth.locals.com, where I am engaging with the chat, Ali Maria's here, Jen Slavin's here, uh, Gur7019 is standing by, um, and uh, Matthew was here earlier. Hopefully you can pop back in and uh, watch this very interesting deep dive. And if you want to become a member, uh, either free or paid, either is good over at roundingtheearth.locals.com, you can do so. But of course, if you do decide to sign up as a fr uh, paid member for as little as $5 a month, you can gain access to our weekly Locals supporters exclusive live streams, such as this one that we did on, uh, on Monday. And there was another one on Wednesday as well. So I highly recommend you do that. But folks, without further ado, this is going to be long, so let's dive right in. Today we're doing, truly, a deep dive into this gentleman right here, Dr. David Bulware. Now, he's come up in discussions over uh, the last two weeks or so, uh, as we've had roundtables and locals exclusive discussions around Remdesivir, and we've talked a lot about Steve Kirsch and his role in things, and uh, it's time to go deep into this particular gentleman, because he's had quite the impact. So let's dive in. Who is David Bulware? Well, Dr. David Bulware. David R. Bulware was born in 1974. He attended Wabash College, where he pledged Phi Kappa Psi. His fellow fraternity brothers would later describe him as intelligent, humble, and well-balanced, and able to balance academics, fraternity life, well, fraternity life, and athletics too, and as a member of the cross-country team. He graduated in 1996 with a Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry. He later attended the Indiana University School of Medicine, graduating in 2000. He completed an internal medicine and pediatrics residency and an infectious disease fellowship from the year 2000 all the way through to 2007 at the University of Minnesota, receiving a certificate in tropical medicine from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in 2000. And six, he completed his master's in public health in 2007 at the University of Minnesota. Now, also in 2007, Bulware became an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Disease and International Medicine at the University of Minnesota's Department of Medicine. And uh, one of his very first projects, it seems, perhaps even before he was officially hired in 2006, Bulware began working with the university's Center for Infectious Diseases and Microbiology Translational Research under the leadership of one Dr. Paul Bohannon. Founded in 2005, CIDMT's stated mission was to discover mechanisms of pathogenesis 
that can be translated into new treatments and strategies for prevention of infectious diseases. Now, more specifically, Bohannon and his team were one half of a long-term collaborative effort between the University of Minnesota and medical researchers in the African nation of Uganda. A 2008 article published in Min Post provides a summary of the origins of the collaboration, and I quote, The story begins in 2003 when Dr. Paul Boannon came to Kampala to train African physicians in the use of HIV medicine. Bohannon brought the wisdom of experience because he treats HIV AIDS at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. He also co-directs the University's Center for Infectious Disease and Microbiology Translational Research. In Uganda, Bohannon met the full brutal force of the HIV pandemic. It had killed nearly a million people, one in every 27 Ugandans. A million more were living under its death sentence. Their only hope for a reprieve was in HIV drugs, which were just beginning to trickle into sub-Saharan Africa. Back in Minneapolis, Bohannon recruited a colleague, Dr. David Bolware. The University of Minnesota's Academic Health Center contributed $200,000. More funding came from a philanthropic arm of the company Tybotech and the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Bolware and Boannon boarded planes for Kampala two or three times a year, staying two to four weeks at a time. Students and fellows from the university's schools of medicine and public health filled gaps between their shifts. Now, of note is the fact that the MinPost article acknowledges that the, quote, reporting for this article was supported by the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting in Washington, D.C., end quote. Now, the Pulitzer Center is itself, if you didn't know, funded by a number of organizations who may find it in their interest to influence the way, generally speaking, in which infectious diseases in Africa is covered in the media, including <clears throat> the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Meta, formerly Facebook, Journalism Project, the Nuclear Threat Initiative, the Omidyar Network, Open Society Foundations, Planned Parenthood, Population Services International, Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Rockefeller Foundation, the United Nations Foundation, and William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, among others. Now, that was based on a list from 2022. And of course, it may be that the Pulitzer Center had different, less conflicted sets of donors back in 2008. Could be. Now, as described in that previous article, Bulware and Bohannon would travel to Uganda two or three times a year, staying two to four weeks at a time, where they would conduct research on the genetics of HIV slash AIDS. They would also run clinical trials on various therapeutics on sick patients at the partner hospitals of the Infectious Diseases Institute. Now, the Infectious Diseases Institute, the IDI, operates out of Makerere University in Kampala, Uganda. It was conceived by, in 2001 by a group that included noted HIV-AIDS researcher Merle Sandy, Makerere University School of Medicine Dean Nelson Suenkambo, 
and <coughs> excuse me, and Hank McKinnell, former CEO and chairman of Pfizer. Maybe you see why I choked on that. This led to the formation of a nonprofit organization called the a Academic Alliance for AIDS Care and Prevention in Africa, or simply the Academic Alliance, which then set about founding the Infectious Diseases Institute in 2002. Initial funding for the project came from Pfizer, distributed through a separate foundation called the Pangea Global AIDS Foundation. Within the span of just a few years, the IDI would develop strong relationships with American institutions, including Johns Hopkins University, the Infectious Diseases Society of America, and, of course, Bolwares University of Minnesota. As previously noted, Bolware and Bohannon's work with the IDI was funded by the University of Minnesota, the National Institutes of Health, and a pharmaceutical company called Tybotech, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson, which would later become Janssen Therapeutics, part of the larger Janssen Pharmaceuticals brand. But the IDI would very quickly find themselves on the receiving end of a tremendous amount of money for a full range of activities. Sponsors and financial supporters over the years include Abbott, the Eris Global TB Vaccine Foundation, which, by the way, for more on that, I highly recommend the recent work of Mark Kulag over at Housatonic Live, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, specifically their Cooperative Biological Engagement Program, Biowarfare. The Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, the European Commission, the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics, or FIND, Gilead Sciences, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria, LADOS, a military contractor, Massachusetts General Hospital, where, by the way, Dr. Rochelle Walensky was working, Merck, the Merieux Foundation, responsible for building the Biosafety Level 4 lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Microsoft Research, the National Institutes of Health, specifically the National Cancer Institute, and the, the, <laughs> the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Division of Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, or DAIDS, Novartis, Pfizer, President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, the President's Malaria Initiative, RAND Corporation, another military contractor, Rockefeller Foundation, UNICEF, UNITAID, United States Agency for International Development, or USAID, the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, USAMRID, the United States Department of Defense, the University of Washington, Wellcome Trust, and the World Health Organization, just to name a few. Jerry Alitalo in the Rumble Chat says, former CEO of Pfizer, I said that right. Yes. So, Bulware's focus during uh, his time working with the Infectious Diseases Institute, which is ongoing, by the way, has been, quote, understanding the pathogenesis of HIV immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome, or IRIS, an important complication of HIV therapy that has recently emerged with the rollout of antiretroviral therapy in Africa. Specifically, he and his team have been, quote, prospectively characterizing the differences in gene expression that occur over time among people who develop iris. 
The objective is to identify the pathophysiology of iris, identify biomarkers for the prediction and diagnosis of iris, and develop better treatments for and to prevent iris. I just want to reiterate, this is something that is caused by HIV treatment, and I was not able to identify if there was a specific HIV treatment that was causing all this. But so far, the focus of his research seems to be responding to adverse effects to an entirely new syndrome that is caused by HIV drugs. And, and note this, Bulware's early interest in genetic medicine should not be overlooked. Neither should the fact that his colleagues at the time also took particular interest in mRNA as the mechanism for both the cause of HIV-related disease and how to potentially treat it. And when I say colleagues, I actually mean his superiors. For example, Dr. Bohannon's profile from January 2009 explains, quote, one mechanism that cells use to turn off gene expression is specific mRNA decay within the cytoplasm. Dr. Bohannon is working to understand the biochemical mechanisms that regulate mRNA decay and to understand the role of mRNA decay in regulating gene expression in disease states such as malignancy, so cancer, or virus infection. Meanwhile, the CIDMT co-director Mark Schleiss was, quote, engaged in the study of CMV vaccines, specifically, but not exclusively, purified protein subunit and DNA vaccines. Bulware's various publications arising from this work disclose funding from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. In 2009, he received a grant from GlaxoSmithKline for a project titled HIV Immune Reconstruction, or sorry, Reconstitution Inflammatory Syndrome in Uganda, lasting until the end of 2015. Now, from March 2015 to February 2018, Bulware acted as principal, uh, pr principal investigator on a project at the Infectious Diseases Institute titled Adjunctive Sertraline for the Treatment of HIV-Associated Cryptococcal Meningitis. The resulting study was published in August 2019 and found that the Pfizer-developed antidepressant did not reduce mortality and should not be used to treat patients with HIV-associated cryptococcal meningitis. It also noted, well, and just before I move on there, recall our discussion, Matthew and I, our roundtable discussion with Kim Witschak, in which we go at length on about this sertraline, a, a medication I myself have been on, and uh, it's more commonly known name Zoloft. Now, this study also noted support from the aforementioned Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, which, as I previously noted, with a slight correction, hosts former NID head Anthony Fauci and Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance director, Afsena Beschloss. I know I pronounced that wrong. On its board of trustees. The correction is in my last video, I said that Margaret Hamburg, former FDA commissioner, was uh, on the board of trustees. And uh, I'm, what I meant to say was Afsena Beschloss. Okay. Bulware began a... Oh, and there's, there's the slide I put together for that. Now, Bulware began a second trial in May 2016 titled 
cryptococcal antigen screening plus sertraline. Or C, assert. Originally scheduled to run until April 2023, the trial was canceled in late 2019 after several Ugandan trial subjects suffered psychotic episodes associated with the sertraline, with one lasting greater than four months. Note that sertraline, also known as Zoloft, is part of a class of drugs called Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors, or SSRIs, a class which also includes a drug later explored by Bolware for its effects on COVID-19 called fluvoxamine. Now, while Bolware has spent years swimming in the pool of HIV and AIDS research, his real focus is on a condition called cryptococcal meningitis. In a 2016 article published in Newsweek, Bolware describes it as, quote, so neglected that it's not even considered a neglected disease, which is kind of funny. Quote, it just gets lumped in with HIV, so no one sees it and no one really cares. Now, the next paragraph of the article points out that the, the so-called neglected diseases have benefited significantly from Product Development Partnerships, or PDP, for which, as they note, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation provides the most funding globally, including through public-private partnerships like PATH, the Drugs for Neglected Diseases Initiative, and the TB Alliance. But somehow, Bolware's niche disease wasn't seeing any of that Gates funding, or at least not enough. He advocates in this article in particular for a new, at the time, screening tool called the Cryptococcal Antigen Lateral Flow Assay, or CRAG-LFA, developed by a diagnostics company called Immunomycologics, or IMI, which, he notes, has received support from the Clinton Health Access Initiative. That's all very interesting, but the most interesting part of the article comes right at the end, where Newsweek reveals that it, too, eight years later, had created the piece with funding from the Pulitzer Center on Crisis Reporting. Very interesting. Now, one of Bolware's HIV studies at the IDI, published in December 2017, was featured in the Joint United Nations Program on HIV AIDS, or UN AIDS, August 2018 report titled Miles to Go. All right. This next section is titled Relationships with Pharmaceutical Companies. In a presentation delivered at the 2018 Mycosis Study Group Education and Research Consortium, or MSGERC, by biennial meeting, Bolwer discloses that he has received research funding from none other than Gilead Sciences, the pharmaceutical company responsible for the development of the drug we now know as remdesivir. He also discloses acting as an advisor to Viamet and Minitronics. Minitronics is a medical device company that didn't stand out to me as particularly interesting, but Viamet Pharmaceuticals was a biotechnology company founded in 2005 by two researchers out of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and Northwestern University. Viamet in their words, discovered and developed small molecule inhibitors of validated metalloenzymes, 
via an innovative and proprietary metal binding approach called metallophile technology. Metallophile is trademarked. Viamet's investors included Astellas Venture Management, the venture capital firm of Astellas Pharma, Eli Lilly's Lilly Ventures, and the Novartis Venture Fund. On June 3rd, 2015, Viamet announced it had been awarded a $1.95 million grant from the United States Department of Defense to develop quote, a novel tropical antifungal agent to prevent and treat, uh, treat mold infections as a result of battlefield wounds. More specifically, they're referring later on, they clarify it is for the treatment of, of valley fever. In April 2016, the company reported co-owning six patents with the United States government through the Department of Health and Human Services. But of course, of particular interest to uh, Dr. Bolware would be Viamed's drug called VT-1129, which it had developed for treatment of cryptococcal meningitis. Indeed, Bolware served as senior author on a study published in September 2016 that found, quote, VT-1129 shows potential for use against fluconazole-resistant cryptococcus for which he received funding from Viamet. Now, Viamet was acquired by NovaQuest Capital Management in January 2018 and was renamed to Vi Mycovia, excuse me, Mycovia Pharmaceuticals shortly after. So, Bulware contributed as a site investigator for the Ambisome Therapy Induction Optimization Clinical Trial or ambition. It's a good word, ambition. Investigating the use of Gilead's ambiosome, or amb ambisome, just ambisome, in treating cryptococcal meningitis, published in the journal Trials in November 2018. The trial was sponsored by Gilead, who happened to have also uh, paid the senior author and at least one other contributor to this. The second last author, I believe. So there you go. Now, returning back briefly to Bulware's 2018 presentation for a moment. Let's see. We also see in that second point that Bulware's proposing running clinical trials on a drug called oral amph amphot amphotericin. You know, I should really look up how to pronounce some of these things before I go live. Also to treat cryptococcal meningitis. Luckily for him, he would receive that funding for this project from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, or NINS, in March 2019. There was other funding involved as well from Matinus Biopharma, which we'll get to in a second. Phase one of this clinical trial, titled Encochleated, 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 Oral Amphotericin for Cryptococcal Meningitis Trial, or INACT. It began at the Infectious Diseases Institute in Uganda on October 24th, 2019. So as mentioned, as mentioned, amphotericin is a antifungal medication developed by a biopharmaceutical company called Matinus Biopharma. Matinus was founded in 
2013, by Jerry Jabour and Abdel Fazi. Now, this is where it gets interesting. On January 10th, 2019, Matinas announced that it had entered an agreement with an undisclosed pharmaceutical company to, quote, evaluate synergistic effects of Matinas's lipid nanocrystal, or LNC, platform delivery technology with their partners, Nucleic Acid Polymer Technology. CEO Jerome Jabour said that the collaboration would, quote, provide solutions for companies developing innovative nucleic acid polymers, small molecule drugs, vaccines, proteins, and potentially even gene editing technologies. Now, um, what exactly is a lipid nanocrystal? According to Matinas's website, their proprietary intracellular LNC platform is designed to safely deliver a broad range of potent medicines, including small molecules, drugs with blood level limiting toxicities, nucleic acid polymers, proteins, peptides, vaccines, and gene editing technologies, end quote. In other words, the LNC certainly seems very similar in premise and application to the now very familiar lipid nanoparticle as used in the COVID-19 genetic vaccine products deployed by Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna. The main difference, at least in terms of a sales pitch, appears to be in their, quote, natural, non-toxic, and highly efficient spiral crystal with the unique ability to be administered orally and through various other routes. But the real shocker comes later down on the same webpage. You ready? So, in December 2020, Matinas announced it had been tapped by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases to evaluate oral formulations of Gilead Science's antiviral drug remdesivir in its potential treatment against COVID-19. But Matinas's good fortune from the pandemic didn't stop there. On April 11, 2022, Matinas and BioNTech announced a research collaboration, quote, to evaluate a novel delivery technology for mRNA-based vaccines. Then, in January 2023, Matinas and National Resilience entered into a material transfer and evaluation agreement focused on exploring the potential for oral delivery of identified nucleic acids. Also in early 2023, the company sought funding from the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or BARDA, and continued into its third project with Genentech. Now, it's unclear to me if Genentech was the mystery company first mentioned in 2019, or if that company remains unnamed. Now, while Bolware was not, to my knowledge, involved in any of the above research collaborations, of which there's a surprising number, they all occurred while he was actively running his enact clinical trial. 
And given that he has been on Matinas's payroll since just prior to the declaration of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2019, the introduction of these new partnerships would begin to compound the perceived or potential conflicts of interest for anything Bulware might touch related to COVID-19 moving forward. Of course, as we see on screen, by 2019, he had already disclosed having received research funding directly from Gilead, and he disclosed this in a number of places. Now, note, of course, that all of the companies and organizations that we just went through, all of them, every single one that Matinas describes as having all these new relationships with, are directly involved in the development, manufacturing, or deployment of the various COVID-19 genetic vaccine products currently on the market. NIAID co-developed Moderna's mRNA-1273 and owns the patented coronavirus spike protein used in both Moderna and the Pfizer-BioNTech products. BioNTech needs no elaboration as the primary developer of the BNT162B2 product marketed by Pfizer and all of its variations including bivalent and so forth. National resilience, I might remind you, is the CIA slash Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation linked manufacturer of synthetic RNA in the United States and up here in Canada, by the way, particularly for Moderna's product. And it's co-led by a former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb. And of course, Barda, as we know, kickstarted Moderna with substantial early funding and you might not know this, but Genentech did the same with BioNTech. Well, the ENACT study is marked as completed on clinicaltrials.org as of February 15th, 2023, after all of that happened. But we've come up to almost the present. Now we look at his role in COVID-19 early treatment. So at the outset of the declared COVID-19 pandemic, David Bolware was quick to jump into action. In an NPR article published March 31st, 2020, Bolware points out that his, quote, normal research is doing clinical trials in Africa for fungal meningitis of the brain, end quote. But on March 9th, 2020, chose to get his team together and spin up some clinical trials for repurposed drugs to treat COVID-19. And thus, Bulware began his work as the principal investigator for the first randomized control trial testing hydroxychloroquine for its use against COVID-19. The trial, titled Post-Exposure Prophylaxis or Preemptive Treatment for SARS Coronavirus 2, kicked off on March 17, 2020, six days after the World Health Organization declared the COVID-19 pandemic. As Matthew Crawford has covered fairly well, funding for the trial was provided by Jan and David Bazuki, by Steve Kirsch, the University of Minnesota Foundation, the Alliance of Minnesota Chinese Organizations, and the Minnesota Chinese Chamber of Commerce. Now, those last two have some interesting threads to pull, but a different time. David Bazuki, for those who still haven't heard, uh, who haven't uh, who haven't experienced Matthew's reporting on this. David Bazuki is the creator of Roblox, 
a video game which saw, quote, dramatic growth during the COVID-19 pandemic as children who were forced to stay home spent more time playing games, end quote. Now, it also has a bit of a sex problem, as noted in a report from BBC News outlining various instances of sexual content in the game ostensibly made for kids, including a so-called virtual sexual assault. Very problematic image on screen right now. And that's not to mention the various accusations of insider trading from former speakers of the House of Representatives, but let's not go there today. Now, Steve Kirsch is certainly no stranger to the Rounding the Earth audience. In fact, his name is coming up live in the chat as we go. Ginger Sladsky says, I hope, or sorry, Ginger Sladsky says, I hope Kirsch doesn't try to buy slash steal Liam now. I'll let you know if he tries. <laughs> I kid. But Steve founded the COVID-19 Early Treatment Fund, CETF, in April 2020 in order to fund trials on repurposed drugs, starting with, it seems, Bulware's trial on hydroxychloroquine. Bulware later told MIT Technology Review that Kirsch was extremely helpful early on in the pandemic, stepping up to fund, uh, fund early treatment trials when the U.S. government would not fund such studies. Donors to the CETF included the Bazookis, Elon Musk, Mark Benioff of Salesforce, I believe, Vince Cerf, literally co-inventor of the internet, the Skoll Foundation, and Vanguard Charitable. Now, despite the enthusiasm and name power of the trial funders, on June 3rd, 2020, Bulware's team announced that they found that, quote, hydroxychloroquine has no benefit over placebo in preventing COVID-19. However, it is worth noting that the supposedly inert placebo in question was actually folic acid, which is a rather strange choice given that folic acid has its own evidence of clinical benefit in helping patients with COVID-19. Now, that's been covered by some very intelligent people, but a little discussed point about this first trial was that it also had a Canadian branch co-led by the University of Alberta, University of Manitoba, and the Research Institute of the McGill University Health Center. Further funding for the Canadian branch came from the Bridge to Health Medical and Dental, Manitoba Medical Service Foundation, McGill Interdisciplinary Initiative in Infection and Immunity, or MI4, McGill University Health Center, Northern Alberta Clinical Trials and Research Center, Research Institute of St. Joe's Hamilton, and the St. Joseph Hospital Foundation. Now, look, I've spent a little more time than most of my American friends researching the academic health networks here in Canada, as these were the institutions leading the charge in our COVID-19 response. One of these funders that I find particularly interesting is the McGill Interdisciplinary Initiative in Infection and Immunity, or MI4. Now, MI4 provided a significant amount of research funding towards projects related to COVID-19 through their MI4 Emergency COVID-19 Research Funding Program. I've selected just a few examples of the many funded projects uh, 
So let's see, development of a new virus-like particle vaccine against COVID-19, real-time tracking of COVID-19 vaccine development, ethical tensions of implementing research during a crisis, understanding moral experiences of healthcare providers caring for patients who are enrolled in COVID-19 clinical trials, expert and lay perceptions of translation of COVID-19 treatment and vaccine development, success rate and timeline for development of vaccines for emerging and re-emerging viral infectious diseases, COVID-19 vaccines, novel approaches to tackle a novel disease, effective coronavirus pandemic and healthcare system response on non-COVID-19 related mortality, post-pandemic myocardial infarction and heart failure rates in Quebec, a collateral damage in this war? Question mark. And finally, health communication, social, cultural diversity, and COVID-19. Now, notably, MI4 announced in December 2020 that it had received a generous $600,000 gift from Pfizer towards the creation of the Pfizer Early Career Investigator Awards. How nice of them. Okay. In June 2020, Gilead Sciences announced that their newly emergency use authorized remdesivir would come at a cost of $3,120 per dose. Asked for comment, Bulware offered that from the health system perspective, if remdesivir can shorten duration of hospitalization by four days, then the medicine provides a reasonable value. Hot take from Dr. Bulware. But hydroxychloroquine wasn't the end of the line for David Bulware. He also participated as a senior investigator in the TOGETHER trial, a multinational clinical trial platform launched initially by researchers in Canada and Brazil. True to its name, the TOGETHER trial really brought everything together under, under one roof. In addition to its own hydroxychloroquine trial, which ran in Brazil, the international investigators also tested HIV drugs lopinavir and ritonavir, the antidepressant fluvoxamine, molnupiravir, which was Merck's experimental product, not a, I suppose it was technically repurposed, ivermectin, inhaled corticosteroids, metformin, interferon lambda, and doxazosin. There's a couple of those I haven't heard of before. Now, Bulware participated as an investigator in the ivermectin arm, and I believe that also included a fluvoxamine element, which concluded that ivermectin is not useful against the disease. The New York Times quoted Bulware in their coverage of the study as saying, there's really no sign of any benefit. Now that people can dive into the details and the data, hopefully that will steer the majority of doctors away from ivermectin towards other therapies. Not sure what other therapies he's referencing. Now, the TOGETHER trial was funded by a whole lot of people, and uh, that's for a further investigation, but just on a cursory review of my notes, they were funded by the likes of the FTX Foundation, as well as Elon Musk, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey, LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, tech entrepreneur Yuri Milner, Google co-founder Eric Schmidt's Schmidt Ventures, and others through Fast Grants. 
Okay, but that's still not the end because finally, Bulware currently, as far as I understand, serves as the national co-chair of the trial steering committee for the National Institutes of Health's Active 6 platform clinical trial. Uh, here is just a quick tweet of, uh, of Dr. Bulware uh, uh, speaking highly of the Active 6 trial. Now, Active 6, for those who don't know, and uh, this was very interesting to uh, revisit some of my notes on this. Active 6 is part of the Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccines initiative launched on April 17th, 2020. In its own words, ACTIVE is a public-private partnership whose executive leadership includes, or in some cases I think included, Anthony Fauci, Peter Marks of the FDA, and Janet Woodcock, formerly of the FDA, along with top, or maybe still currently from the FDA, I'm not sure, along with top representatives from Pfizer, BARDA, and the FDA, among other pharmaceutical companies whose treatments and tests were deployed during the COVID-19 response. Furthermore, its preclinical working group includes Dr. Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And, it's, and, and it is stock full of representatives from Pfizer, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Gilead Sciences, Merck, Sanofi, GlaxoSmithKline, the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, and Janssen. I've heard, in fact, and I believe I've seen this in his resume, that one Dr. Robert Malone is also still actively engaged in the active clinical trial platform. Further research required. But for today, let's move to conclude here. In looking over the career of David Bulware, I see a familiar theme. A man of passion and ambition working towards a successful career endpoint. For Bulware, it's clear cryptococcal meningitis is what he always has come back to throughout the course of his work, including during his work on COVID-19 early treatment trials. But just like many others who found themselves in positions of influence in 2020, his own ambition will always reassert itself. And thus, it's understandable why he would make decisions, even passively, that favor the advancement of his own research. In this case, recall that Bulware's work from 2006 onward has been experimenting on sick people in Uganda under the banner of the HIV AIDS pandemic. Just like Anthony Fauci, Rochelle Walensky, Margaret Hamburg, and many others who have sat in the seat of power. There's a nice way to put that, and there's a realistic way to put that. Realistically, the facility where he worked, where he still works, the Infectious Diseases Institute, was quite literally co-founded by a Pfizer CEO and funded heavily by Gilead Sciences, Johnson & Johnson, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and various branches of the United States government. Those included Fauci's NIAID, Hamburg's Food and Drug Administration, Walensky's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 
and even Robert Malone's colleagues at the Department of Defense's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DTRA. So, both in the IDI and at home, Bulware's research funding came from NIAID, the DOD-funded pharmaceutical companies he's worked with, and from Gilead Sciences itself. The co-directors of his research institution have long focused on the genetic aspects of viral infection, which naturally also includes the genetic aspects of the person infected, and the genetic medicines to combat the disease. It seems to me that through the perceived failure of repurposed drugs to manage the COVID-19 pandemic, a wave of new technologies in genetic medicine have now been rolled out to the global population and normalized under the misleading banner of vaccination. Bulware's most recent funder, Matinas Biopharma, has benefited tremendously from this new reality. While this has been simply an exploration and not something that I can reach a conclusion based on, and I wouldn't want to without speaking with Dr. Bulware, it's hard to see how he didn't walk out of this as a man much further along in his career, in large part thanks to his role in quashing hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, et al. But rather, and more importantly, the notion, simply the notion, that early COVID-19 treatment existed at all in the early days. In the presence of such treatment opportunities, companies like Matinas, National Resilience, BioNTech, and Gilead Sciences and Moderna would all be in a much different place right now. And if there's any question as to how Dr. Bulware feels, where he lands on these genetic medicines, we need only turn to his own words. For example, there's this tweet from September 17th, 2022, where he says, this sub-study of the University of Minnesota Medical School COVID out trial demonstrates that having a COVID-19 vaccine booster prior is the best early treatment. You ever feel like you're being gaslit? Nothing else reduces symptoms or resolves symptoms faster, even if at low risk of hospitalization. Talking to you, kids. Get boosted! Full disclosure, I added the talking to you kids part in there, just to be really transparent. And then there's this hot take on, well, following news that Moderna's flu vaccine didn't work. The headline says Moderna flu vaccine delivers mixed results in trial shares fall. I quote, Moderna Inc. on Thursday, this is from, by the way, February 2023. Moderna said on Thursday, its closely watched experimental messenger RNA-based influenza vaccine generated a strong immune response against A strains of the flu, but failed to show it was at least as effective as an approved vaccine versus less prevalent influenza B. The results dashed investor hopes that the company might plug its COVID franchise decline, sending Moderna shares down more than 6% in after-hours trading. Dr. David Bulware, an infectious disease specialist 
at the University of Minnesota Medical School said he was not overly concerned about the immune response versus influenza B. Bolwer said the immune response against the A strains demonstrated that the vaccine probably worked. And Moderna's tweaks to the vaccine are likely to improve the response against the B strains. I consider it pretty positive, he said. Needless to say, Dr. Bulware, I hope you're right about everything. About the uselessness of the most promising early treatment protocols. About the safety and efficacy of the various COVID-19 vaccine products. About it all. Sadly, I don't think you are. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been my special report on Dr. David Bulware. I hope I've answered some of your questions, and if you didn't have any to begin with, I hope I've left you with even more. But for now, thank you for joining me here on Rounding the News, brought to you by Rounding the Earth. And of course, you can go over to roundingtheearth.locals.com for more video discussions just like this, special reports, roundtable discussions, local supporter exclusive. Sign up for $5 a month to gain access to all of those, including ones we've already done, by the way, and everything we do moving forward. Um, you can also go to roundingtheearth.substack.com, where Matthew continues to publish excellent articles on a variety of subjects, not just strictly related to COVID-19, but the bigger picture, what he calls the plan-demonium, uh, the economic factors, the socioeconomic factors. There's lots to explore beyond just infectious diseases. But for now, well, you can find me at liamsturgis.com, where my album Foreverland remains available. We're coming up on its one-year anniversary, and it's been a wonderful year of doing my best to get my music out there in a very different world than when I started making that particular album. Well, you've been fantastic. Thank you to everybody who's been tuning in on Rumble and Locals and Rockfin and Odyssey and, well, Facebook and CloudHub and Twitch. You guys are the best, and the show notes for this show will be available on roundingtheearth.locals.com uh, within about an hour. Stay tuned, and we will see you again very shortly. Mm -hmm.